kinds of cardboard boxes. What's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? It loses its value if you take it out of the package. APDU crew, it's Avelio Matos, host of Package Design Unboxed. Now, today's episode, this is a two-parter. We're speaking with Jenny Cairns of Butterfly Cannon. She's the Innovation and Sustainability Manager there. And we spoke for so long about a few different things that it actually made more sense to break this up into two episodes and release them separately versus doing just one long podcast. In part one, which we're going to listen to today, Jenny and I discuss Butterfly Cannon's climatic table. Now, what this is, this climatic table is a document they've released, which is a checklist for 28 sustainable design elements. Essentially, it's a menu of sustainability priorities that each brand, design agency, designer should really walk through. It really makes sustainability a little bit easier to digest and actually have a conversation about. Um, Jenny and I walk through the different sections and compare and contrast a few different types of brands and how they would use the table. Not only do we tackle sustainability in this episode, we also discuss how to include it in your design process. As an example, some of the great things that are included in this climatic table that's available on their website, butterflycannon.com. It's broken down into four sections. There's resources, which talks about uh, different byproducts, renewable sources, recycled content. Then there's a section for manufacturing, uh, whether it's local supplier, different types of line efficiencies, distribution. We look at lower volume, uh, collaborative distribution, and then how to close the loop, which we talk about recycling, refilling, compostability. And again, this table is broken out into 28 design elements in these four sections. And as a designer, once you look at this, it makes sustainability that much clearer in terms of what you need to do to design sustainable packaging. So do me a favor, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening to this. It doesn't matter which one, just hit subscribe. It really helps me get the word out to more people and connect with more agencies around the world to bring them to you. So thank you so much. I appreciate you doing that before you actually do it because I know you're doing it right now. Let's get to the show. Let's talk to Jenny. I'm super excited. Pensworlds is celebrating our 16th annual competition. We have partnered with Package Design Unbox to bring you exclusive content from our jury and previous winners. Our competition is currently open until the 1st of April. Pensworlds would love to see your packaging designs. Submit them at pensworlds.com. Hey, I want to introduce you to idpdirect.com. We recently won a Silver Pen Awards for collaborating on the future of sustainable packaging. If you want to work directly with the packaging manufacturer and you're tired of distributors and middlemen, check them out. Visit idpdirect.com to learn more. Uh, yeah, you can eliminate plastic, but you may be increasing your carbon emissions. Exactly. And what are you, what's well, your what ultimate you, goal? Exactly. Like what are you wanting to make happen? Happen If you're lowering your carbon, you, I think it was, um, I think it was innocent. Um, and it's not something I've worked on, but I think it was Innocent the Drink brand, like literally okay. just the other day, um, from what I was reading online, I think it was yesterday, they had like one of their advertisements banned and they've got their plastic bowl. That's a mixture of plastics, but also they're trying to say, look, we've chosen this material because it's, it's better. We're lowering our carbon and stuff like that. We're trying to get to our carbon targets and this is the best material for that. And basically it's being banned. It, like 
because they were said that yeah basically they've said it's because people are promoting plastics when they shouldn't be like uh, an organization i can't remember the name of the organization apologies but i was reading i was just like really shocked that they were trying to show look this is why we've done it we're not trying to say these are um, these are amazing but we're doing our best to get cut down our carbon emissions and this is the best way to do it given our product and i was just so shocked that it's been taken off the air i just yeah but i guess it's it's also the understanding that sometimes you do also have to look at what consumers are saying. You need to look at the data, but sometimes you have to be wary of how maybe you might word stuff. Given after seeing that, I was really shocked. So I think yeah. it's just be how you're wording stuff because nothing seems to fit perfectly in all honesty. But I think it's just about trying to do the best thing. You are trying to do something positive. And as long as you're showing the reason why you're doing it, you go, look, we weighed up this material versus this material. We looked at the options here. This is what we've come to as a conclusion is what's best. Like we are going across Europe and we can get cork from Portugal and Spain. So it makes sense for us to use that material. Whereas in other areas of the world, you can't get it as easy. So, so it's thinking about your, what's right for you as a business as well. So yeah. It's education, asking the right questions um, and having that conversation with consumers. Absolutely. How has sustainability changed Butterfly Cannon's approach to design when they speak to clients. Okay, cool. So I've just as a kind of, I guess I didn't say this earlier, but I've been there for just over three years. Yeah. Um, so I've been there for a little while now, but obviously through a pandemic as well. So there are different occasions. <laughs> but I guess when I initially arrived at Butterfly Cannon, there wasn't a specific sustainability approach. There were always elements of it within the design regards what choices were being made. I think there was a lot of talk about it, but not being the ultimate conclusion. Um, and basically there was a quick realization when I joined that this needs to be brought in across the entire decision-making process. So working hand in hand with our teams and our clients, rather than being told one thing at one point or you know, not working as harmoniously together. So what we ended up doing was um, we developed like a simple step-by-step -step process that would basically hopefully dispel any confusion with our clients and their teams and our own teams. Um, and we just help brands like kind of identify their sustainability roadmap for either short, medium or long-term, um, given areas to focus on based on what they were doing as a business and trying to maximize the good and the positivity that they were doing. And then mm -hmm. the way how we kind of implemented this was through like um, uh, a, process, a process called conscious design. Um, so it begins by, it's kind of like a couple of steps. So it begins by clarifying a brand's purpose. Mm -hmm. So what are, they, what are they doing? Why? And then followed by defining their sustainability goals. So some people, if you're a larger company, you might already have those. Some companies are saying some, but they might be, you, you kind of have to question them because sometimes they contradict inside, inside of that. And then, um, Overall, I think is quite key is understanding the context which we are working in. So thinking about that product and the time frame that we've got, like I said before, if you've got a short lead time to make something, it very much changes how you can potentially approach things or make something happen in that time. If you've got a product that, I don't know, you only drink once and then it's consumed and it's gone. Or if you've got a product that, you know, if you've got a whiskey or something like that, that's got multiple, you're not going to necessarily yeah. finish that in one sitting. 
maybe, I don't know, depends on the person, but you basically need to make sure that that functions for the amount of time that's going to be open and reopen and things like that. So you have to think about those elements as well and whether, for example, you might need a more durable material or you might need, just need a material that you know is only going to last for that opening because once that's opened, then it's gone. Sure. So if anybody wants to take a look at this, you know, go to butterflycanon.com and I think just click in the menu, you click on sustainability and it takes you to this elemental table of a checklist right, of all the different design elements that you want to look at, uh, which I love this table because it's one, it's beautifully designed, but two, it just makes it so simple. Uh, and it just, it gives you like a visual representation of something that's so complex. At least it's complex in the mind of, of, of the brands and sometimes even for designers. Um, so, so talk to me about this table. One, how long did it take to even put this together? And two, how has it uh, changed the way that you communicate sustainability to the brands? Yeah, cool. Um, thank you for that, by the way. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I was so excited when I saw this. I haven't seen anything like it before, so it's super um, cool. Oh, cool. No one will be able to tell, but I'm blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's basically 28 sustainable design elements, and then it's broken into four areas. So as I mentioned earlier, resources, manufacturing, distribution, and closing the loop. And we use it as a checklist that can be interrogated with our clients to identify an achievable timeline priority list. So what's, what are we going to focus on and where? And that this, this table basically underpins all of our projects as well that we work on and helps us to measure what we're doing as a brief and work from as a checklist. And as you said, it's, it's been really nicely designed. So I thank everyone in the team at, at the studio because it wouldn't be possible without everyone joining on that. But it was being designed and named after the periodic table because it's a globally understood and respected infographic. So it's something that takes something highly complex into a more easy to digest area, like you were saying earlier. It's, yeah, that was the reason for putting it that way. It took us, we were always working on things, but probably till we got to the final one, probably nine months to a year, I'd say, by the time we completed it. Um, because it's, you're basically trying to make a very complex issue, which <laughs> is very very small, well, broad, but not broad areas. You're trying to say, okay, you, you can do this, but you can't do that. You can look at it in this way. So if you see it as like a checklist, you can't necessarily, you can't do all those elements on there. That's physically mm. impossible. You kind of have to look at it and go, okay, this is what I'm working on. I've been told that we need to lower our carbon footprint or our water intensity. We need to be looking at uh, re recycled materials. We, we can do something in that. Or mm. you might go, do you know what? This this is going to be going for refills. So it needs to be made from a durable material that needs to last more than 10 times in the supply chain. So therefore, you need to be thinking about what material you use. You might not, it might not be right for another one. So that's how we, you kind of, through the conversations that we have with the client, you kind of establish what are the key areas to look at. Yeah. And then you basically pick, well, it determines probably about, eight or 10 different total, elements total. Yeah. That's all of it. Yeah. Okay. That you will then focus on. And then basically you use that as a checklist. So when you're looking at stuff, you go, okay, um, we need to make sure that we lower the volume or we need to make sure we lower the weight across this. 
and you think across all areas of the packaging. So you have to think about, if you're thinking about distribution, you've got to think about your primary, secondary and tertiary packaging. How does that all fit together? Like a big game of Tetris in a way. Yeah. So you've got <laughs> thinking of it. Or you might go to something that goes, I, I need a material that no matter what must be from certified sources, because I want to make sure that, like, like I said, I want to make sure I'm not causing deforestation. So you need to have supply chain management in place for that to happen. And then you would choose your type of materials from that, that you can definitely source from and know that they are monitoring that side of things. So you kind of tick off in that way. Um, working with different suppliers, if you go into manufacturing, you kind of are asking people for their accreditations. Like what are they doing as businesses? What are they, how do they ensure that they're paying their people fairly, ensuring that the standards that they're working in are good, the quality management is good, so that you're always ensuring that you're getting the best kind of practice out of everything. Yeah. So if we look at the if we look at the table, right, it's broken up into four sections. Right? You said resources, manufacturing, distribution, and closing the loop. So I've got a product. I need it packaged. And in terms of resources, I've got like uh, what is that? Um, eight, nine, ten, eleven options. Right. Eleven. Eleven checkboxes to go through, right? Whether it's fewer materials, durable materials, um, like what's really important to me, I, I guess it would be like a priorities list almost for, yeah, so, for a brand. So I guess what would happen is it, it really does depend on the product itself. Mm-hmm. So for example, you may want to include recycled content, but you can't actually do that and be up against the surface on food. Sure. You, you, you don't become compliant then. So therefore you always have to have a virgin stock there. You can't do that. So that would be like, actually we could try and do that, but it might be sandwiched in between, but then it's a different process and how people work together for that. So that might be a viable option, but we, you'd narrow down who you could use for it and things like that. Got it. Or it could be, you know, if recycled content content is important, then maybe that's in your secondary or tertiary packaging, right? How do you, how do you incorporate it? Or it's, it's also thinking about the entire, all the components, yeah. So it's not just thinking about, um, you know, I'm redesigning a label or I'm just doing a cap. It's thinking about all the components together um, and making sure you're thinking, if I just take, I'm trying to think of something that's in front of me, like a tangerine, <laughs> that <would> help. <laughs> um, but if I, if I go back to something like cosmetics, where you've got maybe your main product packaging, you've got some way that you have to label it because there's a lot of... Um, legal mandatories that you have to put on there. <laughs> Even yeah. if you wanted to try to minimize it, there's lots of legal mandatory you have to go through. Then you might have a secondary pack and then you might have the tertiary pack. Then you have to think about, okay, how is that business working? Are you a retail business? Are you an e-commerce business? Wholesale, how is that being packaged in that way? Because that could determine whether a secondary pack is necessary or not as well. Because there could be talks mm-hmm. about whether you actually remove it, not to get rid of business as a company. <laughs> but right. there's, been a lot of, there's been a lot of times where we have had conversations about is a, is a secondary pack necessary? Could the primary pack function? What could it be doing more for it not to need a secondary pack? So it's thinking in that way as well. Um, I've gone off piece here because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. So, so as, we're, as we're going down, you know, like resources. So, you know, I, I can say, I need recycled content. And that allows you then to say, you know what, if it's food contact, we can't do that, but here's our options. 
And if we talk about manufacturing, if what's important to me is line efficiencies because it's going to speed things up. Exactly. That's so great. For example, yeah. oh, or if it's like a no, or if it's like a local supplier, um, you know, maybe your local supplier doesn't have line efficiencies, right? So it's kind yeah, of exactly. balancing Laying those up, things out. Like I said, I, I I just remember a project recently where it was like I want local, and I also want this to be FSC, and it was literally we couldn't find anyone in the entire country that did that. Yeah. Um, luckily, I think they're almost there, so that's good. But at the time, there wasn't, <laughs> there, wasn't there was a lot of questions being asked by everyone. But you could, for example, for line efficiencies, if you have uh, a bottle that you're running down a line, you've got to think about okay, well, how top heavy is it? Is it going to actually help it topple over or are you going to need two touch points because the speed that's going through at this rate that will just help increase everything um so it's thinking about all those and understanding all your kind of i don't want to call them like limitations because i don't think they are i think that it's just understanding the entire context in which you're working and then that will help just decide those and then i guess if we go into the next part about distribution you're thinking about you know if you're lowering your weight or your volume so how are you distributing your goods so if you're going by c container you have that space to work with so how are we going to work with that most efficiently how do you if you somehow manage to claw back just even a centimeter on a secondary pack from the way how you package it or the way how you um can change some of your basically the way how they tuck in is there a way that you can just be that little bit closer or what what can you do so people don't have a platform there and then you save you know, it sounds minimal, but you say like a centimeter in each box, but the way how they stack those boxes means that actually you can get another, another pallet in, or you could get another right. number of boxes in. So all those things kind of make a massive difference. There was a project I worked on where it was literally shipping air. If you think of like a rigid box, if it's not filled with anything, you're shipping air. Yeah. Right? It's the truth. So it was coming up with a box that meant it was flat pack, but gave the illusion of a beautiful rigid box when it arrived but still gave a part of the brand essence. So it was like, how did you construct that when it arrived to make it simple in the store? But meant that that was easy for both the store owners to have somewhere to, you know, not people have loads of storage space, cost money mm-hmm. to have space to, yeah. to run as a business. So you've got limited space there and you also have this shipping problem. So by doing that, I think it was like 50% air we, we saved because of how much more. We were obviously nesting boxes where we could before in rigid boxes. So you do try and save it because they had different sizes. Yeah. But there's only there's still air in between. You can't you can't yeah. avoid that unless everything is perfectly modular and fits so snug. And you have use that exact quantity on everything. Well, <laughs> otherwise, that, that, yeah, that's the that's the other thing. Otherwise, you're gonna have some empty boxes, some full boxes, yeah. and you're adding complexity to the entire business because now they've got to open a big box and pull out a small box. Yeah. Exactly. It gets, yeah, it gets really complicated for sure. So yeah, yeah so I, I, again, I think if anybody's listening. And, you know, there's going to be tons of people listening for the people that are listening, (laughs) (laughs) definitely go to butterflycanon.com and check out the uh, climatic table because it'll change the way that you think about design. And it, you know, hopefully will change the way that you approach your, uh, your clients and talk to them about design. And hopefully you can work with the team at butterfly cannon. But you guys do like amazing packaging. You, you know, you do drinks packaging, you do more than drinks packaging, you do, how do you, like, I'm looking at, uh, it's called uh, Papil. Oh, Papil. Papil. Yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at that bottle and it's like a, you know, it's like this 
offset bottle where it's like rounded on one end and the other side's kind of flat and there's all these grooves on it, but it feels really sexy. And how do you design emotion into this packaging? If you can give me three steps to designing emotion into packaging, what would that be? Uh, three steps. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, well, I'll come back to Papilla in a sec because that was quite a different project. Um, in all honesty, it was a, uh, it was a project with Make a Mark, which is a kind of concept driven one. Um, and it was, it was with 20 different design agencies and everyone had the opportunity oh. to design um, what they wanted. You kind of had three categories. Uh, one was, well, three categories that we said should actually, they all cross over. They shouldn't be separate categories is what we said. So we merged all three for our brief. So they said it needs to be, you could either go into a luxury category, a sustainability category or concept. And we said it doesn't need to be separate. You can see all three of those together. You can't just pin luxury as not being sustainable or sustainability is that's no longer luxury or anything like that. And also concept, why, why can you not drive innovation or change in something without encompassing both those things? So on that, on that project, it was really very, very interesting in what we did. And it was, we started off with basically looking at creating a more positive mood. So, cause it, we, we designed what the liquid was going to be. We, from the very start, it was cause you had nothing. You didn't have a brand. It was, okay, what do we want to give? And it was something positive out in the world rather than, I think a lot of packaging now has a lot of negativity to it. Like it's people see it as, oh, it's waste. Whereas we wanted it to be both the product and the packaging to give back positive benefits. Um, so we looked at different forms of design and um, looking at, different additives that you had in there. So natural adaptogens and nootropics that enhanced your mood. So it was all about that as well. So it was a lot about also product development and, and packaging and how if you're inspired by nature, it naturally makes you feel more uplifted. So it gives you a more positive, elated feeling. Um, and we wanted to make sure that this was something that, you know, not only looked beautiful, but gave these positive attributes towards it as well. And then I guess on top of that, we then worked with three key suppliers across that. So we had, cause if you look at that bottle, you have the structure that's absolutely stunning. And just want to give a shout out to Martin who I work with for designing that for how you can get something self-centered. If you yeah. look at it, cause it has that little hump, normally an absolute nightmare, but the way how he designed it and the way how you physically can still be in the middle with the pore is fantastic. That's absolute genius work there. Um, with it still being asymmetrical and everything like that, I thought it was really amazing. And that's meant to be reminiscent of a butterfly's wing, how that kind of envelops so that, that beautiful shaping that takes you towards nature. Um, and then basically to try and ensure we were being as positive and having a good impact on the environment, shall we say, rather than necessarily seen as take, 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 <laughs> yeah. um, was we worked with Estelle to work on wild glass. I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Maybe you have. So yeah. Estelle are like a glass company. Um, they're a bit like a middleman as well uh, for many glass houses, but they they have 100% um, recycled glass content. So there isn't any, it's all from color. It's all from recycled glass rather than virgin stock. So we worked with them on that. So it was taking something that was already out there in the world and reusing it. And then on the cap, we worked with a company called La Brenta and they basically, it's, it's a, 
material called Sagera, and it's basically molded from their recycled cork dust. So it's part of their waste stream. That's a hindrance to them. And it doesn't use any glue and it's food safe. So it's this idea that you're taking something that's a waste within their stream and using all of that without one of the biggest issues with T-bar caps that you get and something like that is the glue that you have to stick it together. How do they stick together? The top on the yeah. cap. <laughs> <laughs> made with PU, in all honesty, uh, which people don't really know because you don't think about it. You just go, there's a lovely cap. Um, but this was made without glue. So that was really interesting. And then for the, even for the label material, we worked with um, Avery Dennison. So they're one of the biggest companies out there for labels that you can pick up anything of. Um, and we worked with them on marble base. So that's an 8% calcium carbonate. So what was basically a toxic um, waste product from when you're, when you're mining. And then in the, in the marble industry, just to be clear, sorry. And then basically they, they used another 20% of it's a plastic but i can't remember which plastic so apologies um <laughs> but that also meant that we could create the backing on it that meant that when you refilled this or anything like that you it wouldn't come off so it was ensuring that you didn't then if you were to say for example try and wash this out and things like that it kept the label on there for the purpose of what was needed so that was it was working with all elements while still creating that luxurious beautifully tactile and sensorial, but all about positivity as well. So I think it was just thinking of the whole supply chain there. You were working with some great suppliers, talking through what the material types were going to be, why we were using them, how we could best purpose them, pushing suppliers mm. to the max. Bless them, I'm sure they were very annoyed with us. We had a lot of conversations um, about how we could make that glass bottle even possible because it is a very bespoke structure. Um, sure. But I would... I guess just it's just kind of saying like even on the process of that we had asked it was really interesting because it was a concept one it meant we had everyone in the studio work on it so everyone submitted their ideas we had strategy look at what was the positive benefits in design and that's where we came up with all about nature and looking at the, the way how nature works and how that brings back that positive harmony to us as well so it's how do you then incorporate that into the bottle and the designs that you're doing so I don't know whether that answered your first question, but uh, only so, you mentioned that one. I thought it was really interesting because it showed you how we worked yeah. throughout the project and worked with such different and interesting materials, but for a good reason that gave a positive output rather than something that was making something brand new. You're taking mm. something that was negative necessarily in the world, like, like the marble dust, for example. You're taking something that was negative and then turning it into a positive, um, which I think is really important at the moment. Regards... Because yeah, well, even even okay. like a, even like on on so even on this papil, um, without holding it, just seeing it, there's definitely an emotion. Obviously, part of the emotion is driven by the photography or the rendering. Uh, but just from a structural standpoint, you know, it, it there's something that I always talk to clients about is like how do we how do we create emotion? Because packaging is emotion. Uh, right, the way that you feel it, the way that you hold it, um, the way it makes you feel always has an impact. But being able to clearly identify like how that happens, <laughs> I don't know that I'm the best. But I like to ask, what do we do as packaging designers to inject emotion into pack from a structure? So I would say you've hit the nail on the head on some of the things that you just said there, like. 
I think part of the way how we think is, you know, clients and just forget that we communicate through all our senses. We're so used to working on laptops constantly and just working on screens that, you know, we actually communicate through all of our senses. And people often see design as that flat visual thing like you're seeing right now, you're seeing it as a flat visual thing. Um, but it's about creating objects, not images on screen that has a palette that lives way beyond just looking at a Mac or a PC. It has to be something that feels sensory beautiful. And I think the way how we do that is we, we're really lucky we've got a, a 3D team and 2D team <laughs> at the office and we all work hand in hand throughout right. all of our departments. Yeah. Also, I don't want to say, I haven't forgot, we also have client services <laughs> and also strategy and realization, which is what I'm part of. There's all those parts that go throughout everything where we work together on things. So it's, I would say you need to understand culture of the consumer and the way how you're working and, and what you're trying to get from them and what you're trying to evoke. First off, if you don't understand that from a strategic or a brand perspective, it's going to be very difficult. So we have our creative strategy team basically look around for the truth and myths that the brand are, are saying, look for opportunities that are available in that market and where we can potentially thrive but always within the context of understanding the culture of the consumer and of competitors. So you need to be able to think about what, where you're living and how you're also potentially standing out or how, where, where your space is, how are you thriving there? And then we basically ensure that we have a really powerful brand narrative throughout everything that we then have to communicate into design. So you have to kind of start off with, first of what is your, what is your strategy first off? Like, what is the brand's purpose? What, what are we doing this for? Yeah. What, why are we doing this? How is it coming to life? What is the story you're trying to tell? Because without that, then you're not going to really design something with a focus on things. So you need to have that in place first off. And then once you get that, basically the 2D and 3D designers can then focus on how that story is told. So looking at well, how can you make that look more beautiful? How does it get noticed from a dis distance? What is, uh, how do you stimulate someone immediately to understand what the yeah. brand is about? <laughs> so I think that's a large chunk as well. I think the biggest thing here is don't just work on the screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, cause I, I know so many people who do, um, love them for it. I'm not sure if their eyes do. <laughs> but you have to work together as a team to, you know, bounce off of other people and also be able to, you know, design with the materials in mind. How is that gonna feel? How is that gonna smell? For example, I was looking at some really interesting papers earlier that yeah. have specific scents to them uh, that might evoke something to you like that already on there without obviously taking the product. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then you also have, you know, how's it gonna be constructed? How is that gonna feel in your hand? We make a lot of mock-ups. Like we have a 3D printer in house. We've got our own materials library. So you can look at stuff and try and start to piece things together and see how it feels. Cause if you're designing something like a bottle, fundamentally you have to make sure it A, will sell, <laughs> but B <laughs> is it, you don't want to design a bottle that's an awkward shape or something that people can't hold or yeah. how is that going to work? So you have to make sure that you test all those awkward. things out. You could have the most yeah. beautiful design <laughs> on paper. Then when you try to make it, you go, oh, this is so, I know everyone loves a bottle. Yeah, everyone loves a squat bottle, but then it's like, how do you get your hand around that? Do you have to actually pour it with two hands rather than one? Like, it's things like that, that until you start to make mock-ups, you can't really understand it. So we kind of, I guess, from a sensorial perspective, because I know I've gone off piece here, 
it, and especially in 3D, you have to explore your color, your form, and then your basic branding, so your typography, your imagery, your copy. You've got your textures, the weight of something, what the finishes and what they, they give to you um, and how that can be appreciated in both your, like physically in your hands and also like visually. So it's that idea of combining all your senses where it's like you want something <laughs> to visually stand out from a distance. Yeah. You want something to still appeal when you're up close because something could look amazing from a distance and up close you go, oh God. You also want to have something where you, you can pick it up and you, you know, you have that, there's more to it. We work a lot on a lot of finishes and how, how structures open is phenomenal and the experience that that gives I know you'll know this one most but like that <laughs> the idea of like put yourself into their shoes what's going to make this stiff what makes that beautiful what makes you want to open something what makes you want to hold that bottle what makes you intuitively want to grab it from that side and not from the neck how do you make sure someone grabs it from the body or vice versa and think things that way so I think the team at Butler kind of do a great job they're really good at what they do they think about it across all areas, always with this strategy there as well, ensuring that, you know, you're not just going, I'm just picking a random material because I've just seen it and I really like it. <laughs> right, right. Which, which is, you know, honestly, sometimes that's hard to do because you're like, yeah. oh my God, I love this material. I want to shove this into some pack yeah. at some point. It has to be seen by people. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But as we, um, as we start to wrap up, you're also going to be on the Pent Awards jury. Yeah. You're, you're going to be judging. Um, you're on the sustainability jury for Pent Awards. Um, which is awesome. I'm also on the jury this year. I'm super excited about that. Not the sustainability one, but just uh, the regular one. <laughs> You're excited. Is, excited about all categories. <laughs> yes, I'm super excited. Uh, when you're reviewing, when you're critiquing the packaging, right? when you're looking at this on screen, is there a mental checklist that you're going to go through? Or is there like an immediate, I love this, or I dislike this, like What's what's that work? Is it a gut reaction? Do you have a checklist? Like how, how does that uh, how do you approach this? Um, so yeah, it's a really good question actually. Like, and also, <laughs> so you're getting tips here. Let's see what's going on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I guess because I'm in the sustainability category, it's a little bit different because it's not just based upon what the brand story is and mm. maybe how you visually just see that. It's about all the components and things like that. So. For me, I would say if you're entering into this category, which I would wholeheartedly recommend anyone doing if, if they've worked on something they feel really passionate and they feel like they've done a really good job in this area as well, is um, to ensure that, you know, does it talk about the entire package? You know, does it talk about all those components? You know, before where I was saying, like, don't just tell me about just the label. It's about the entire mm -hmm. product. Um, so including the container, the label, the lid, if you've got a secondary packaging with it, if, it, if it's health benefit, you know, the tertiary side of things is, it's um, when people only talk about one section of it, I not to say I get suspicious of people. I'm just a bit like, oh, why are you only talking about that section? What yeah. about all this other part? Have you thought about all elements? Um, then I think there's a part as well for, I guess, especially in sustainability, it's the due diligence. So if they're making claims, please just put supporting documents with stuff. Because <laughs> a lot of people yeah. were making, um claims in some of the ones last year and I, I personally spent a long time actually ringing up some of the suppliers because I knew who made them <laughs> and we're just like hmm someone's saying this but I'll, you know how's that made what materials have you made out because I know it's only you who can you've patented this I know <laughs> I know you're the guys who do it so um 
and you know it might not necessarily be the truth so i think if you're saying these claims do your do your due diligence and make sure you've got your supporting documents on it um and then i think the other two things are clarity is you know how clear are you on your communication is it meant to be used once because if you look at something and you go oh that's a really durable material but you like someone has to chuck that away straight away <laughs> or is it being used multiple times single times like how are people using this and is that also clear like in your design is that clear have you shown a back of pack or have you just shown the front of packs so and like mm. oh, how sexy this is i love how sexy design is though um and then i guess the story as well is that actually about the packaging or the product a lot of people i think i know packaging is a is all about this award but a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about the product instead mm. and so it's like making sure you're talking about your your packaging and the packaging side of it i think is the key part um and just I don't ever just walk in and review because I, I really struggled with this at the start. I wondered, oh, how's the best approach for this? Because <laughs> um, you don't know how many you're going to be walking into. You have no idea how many entries are going to be there. Um, so I would, I would just say one of the best things to do personally or what I've looked at is I don't just look at it in one sitting. I don't just sit down and look at one. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to critique this. What I tend to do is look at the overall picture of everything, go through each one a bit, talk, like, make a few questions at one side there's a little notes box that you can put in there as well <laughs> just a few things just to do a top line to understand like where the categories are how many how many submissions there are to be able to look at against each other as well um and then i go through each one individually again but you can't if anyone tries to do it in one sitting i mean well done to them because i don't know how you can you need to be able to take take a moment back and be able to actually have fresh eyes each time not you know, but like if you're watching a TV series and then towards the end of the series, you get a bit tired. That's not fair on those people who put in their, <laughs> their, their entries. Yeah, so you know, sure. to make sure you, you review regularly, but in small intervals is, is the best way, I think. But yeah, so if somebody's, yeah, so if somebody's entering into the sustainability category, uh, you may, I mean, you make an amazing point. I hadn't even thought about this is not just, you know, sharing the beautiful photographs of your packaging, but telling the story of your packaging, supporting it with, you know, for example, um, I entered last year with a, a pack that I did. I used James Cropper on, they did a ride line, which, you know, it was amazing. It's like cup cycling, you know, has this whole story and it was, you know, yeah, I love that stuff. Uh, I love that. And I included that in, in the, in the, in the information, right? It's like, this is the, this is the paper, this is the mill. This is the story of the paper. You know, here's how it was used in the pack. Um, and just really explaining, because you are going into this, you're, if you're entering into sustainability, you have to tell that sustainability story. So it's not so much about the product, but the packaging, the certifications, um, where you produced it. You end know, of life, you, what you do. Yeah, end of life. Yeah. Are you educating the consumer? You know, yeah. share I'm that. Um, as well, like, be really clear. Like last year, I think I had, you know, if someone just puts compostable, well, which one is it? Is it industrial or is it at home? Like, be clear on what you're... Yeah. Like, some people put recyclable. It's not actually widely recyclable. It's still meant that someone had to bespokely recycle it. So you're like, be very clear on, yeah. on your definitions of things, I think, is is really crucial. And and just on that way, I'm, I'm glad you submitted something that had the context there. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. So I was going to say what I really don't, what automatically worries me when I see see a project or what I go, oh God, is when you just have 
an image and no context. So basically, I think I think in the words of, you know, a picture paints a thousand words, that can be more true, but in a more negative way. Normally that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> when someone just puts one picture up or a couple of really sexy visuals up or something, and there's no context to it, there's no, there's no reason. And they've just like, you know, someone's put an aluminium can up or they've put something up and you, ex- you expect someone to be able to review that and understand it. You have to have the context to be able to judge it properly. So I think that that's yeah. that's one of the key things is just be add. I know it takes a long time and I know it's really annoying writing up all the different things. <laughs> I think it kind of shows you thought through everything and you know you know your materials that you've chosen. You know, you know, some people have done some amazing work on typography, for example, where people have made little nooks in it so they know it's going to fill in, but they don't use as much ink because that's just the process and how it's going to work. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You've thought, yeah. you know, 20% less ink coverage, but still doing the exact same job. Fantastic. Things like that, I think, are really clever things that explain that. Yeah, if you don't, they they have they have to say that otherwise. Yeah, if you don't tell them, they miss it. Lovely image, and I'm like, wow, that pad does look beautiful. But if I don't know all that hard work that people put in, how can I judge it? And also, how can I judge it fairly against those? If it's just images, it's just what you're naturally wired to liking. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, you need to have that written context and and give 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 why you've done it. Just there'll be a reason why you've chosen those things and there's a reason why you made those decisions so i think it's just that's awesome i I, I would take it i would take it as far back as possible right going back to your uh to your chart um you know how did this distribute were you know did you were you able to reduce it were you able to increase the number that fit in a container you know yeah exactly all those things are so helpful to just try and think across the entire supply chain because your your product might just be one small part of it if, you, if you've only worked on the primary packaging, but has that actually reduced the size of the shipper overall? Has what you've done, or has it increased it? And actually it's done the reverse and you haven't realized, or, you know, yeah. all these, not because you, sometimes you don't know that all that little bit when, when making these little tweaks that visually look stunning can have a massive impact overall. So I think it's just saying, I've thought through the entire supply chain. I've, I've used these materials. I've you know, we we produce in this country because we're making the product in this country. I understand understanding some of the reasons why. Well, actually, we went to somewhere uh, far overseas to make it because that's where the where we can get the actual material from, rather than send it to three other countries that do all the other processes in between. You know, it's knowing those kind of things and being very clear is, is I'd say crucial. And like you said, if you go through your like your resources, the way how you're, I, I just think it's an easier way to do it. You look mm-hmm. at the kind of like you said if you're just looking at that table you kind of go oh yeah i, I did this for this week i like okay that makes sense yeah like oh, i didn't think of that part and well i can't really say too much about that section because i hadn't thought all that way through but hopefully it will help be a guide to yeah. i have thought all the way through rather than little parts amazing i think i definitely think people should check out butterfly cannon go to the website look at that chart because that thing is amazing and if you're submitting to the sustainability um, category and pen awards then definitely go to that chart because it'll make you ask questions and add more information into your submission. Um, and just know that Jenny's going to be looking for it. That's it for the show. Thanks so much for joining us on Package Design Unboxed. If you have any questions, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always available for questions. Once again, check us out at packagedesignunboxed.com. Check out SpecRite, the number one platform for specification management. Not sure what board your box uses? Not sure how many colors or how much headspace your packaging requires? If you don't spec right, you'll guess wrong. Specright.com.